welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. Episode 22, Things You Think About Games, as presented by Jeff Tidball and Will Hindmarch at Gen Con 2011, recorded by Jason Pitt.
and we still get together to play games, but very often anymore, it's just because we our paths no longer cross any other way. Right. We don't even necessarily have fun at the times it happens, <laughs> but we're going to do it because it's the only way we keep in touch. And so a couple times a year, we that particular group and I get together. Um, and sometimes we have fun, but sometimes we don't. But the reason we're there is just to stay in touch. Um, There's been a change in paradigm over the years since I've had to watch games evolve. And back in the day, games were definitely meant for socializing, getting together. It was an excuse to get together, and something you did once you did get together. But there's been a change, and I watch the kids, you know, as they grow up, and things are changing because a lot of gaming is now a, a solitary thing. And then you start writing, because a lot of the video that's coming out, I know that's not what we do, because I know this group because I'm one of you, but at the same time, there's a lot of them, a lot of the games come out that don't really spark creativity, just experience. And that's different. And that paradigm is changing where games aren't meant for socializing and creativity and doing that together, but rather just having an experience and then telling your buddy what happened. And a lot of that is really leading into what games are about now. It, it kind of scary for me because when I see groups talking, they'll say, oh yeah, I killed that guy, you know, I went in with this gun, and, I did, and it's like, uh, that's not really gaming to me, that's just an experience. You, you and like about 10,000 other people use that same <coughs> method on that same guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know. well, that's what I think the definition it is capturing one part of gaming, which is the shared experience. Because if you play in an RPG campaign with people, yeah. in, you, you kind of have, oh, well, remember that guy we talked to, and and you pulled out your gun and shot him. That was great. And if you have multiple people playing the same single-player experience, then they also get together and talk about you know, the cake is a lie, right? The definition of the game is changing and it's becoming more expansive. It's been very difficult to say at this point what is a game and, and what isn't. Um, but you remember, if you, um, and I, I can't believe this is considered old now, um, but when Choose Your Own Adventure books, the, those were considered books. Nowadays, they're considered to be single-player role, uh, printed role-playing games. You get you get a few of them print published on an RPG drive-through. Um, like you get with electronic stuff, you have Facebook games. They're supposed to keep clicking this, keep clicking this, keep clicking this, and send some invites to all of your friends who can get their data. Yeah. And that's and that's and a game. Th- those are games. But the person the person who's playing them and enjoys them thinks it is a game. So I. Gaming is becoming, it's hard to say what a game is and isn't. And at this point, a game is whatever the, the player says is a game. Not to say what the publisher does. No, this, is, uh, this is actually not a new, the question as to what is a game is not a new phenomenon. I think, I think, it's, a, I think it's becoming more widespread. But uh, uh, I'm going to get this wrong. But it's Wittgenstein? Has, Stein, yeah, has a front Franken Frankenstein uses games as a as a as a, as a uh, for the philosophical question. How do we know when something is something, right? And that's one of those things like how do we know when we're playing and how do we know when we're not playing? The answer is that you know, you can tell, right? We know when we're when it's a game intuitively, and and there's a lot more to be, to be written and said about it. But it's um uh, uh, 
Uh, part of what fascinates me is, is the fact that, that the answer to that question, why you play games, changes from game to game, and from session to session, and from person to person. From person, to person. Because um, like, I've got friends who played WoW because it was fun, and now they only, the reason they play is because they have friends on WoW, and they're like, yeah, I would move on to something else, that's where I know everybody. Yeah. Right? And that's how they get together with folks. And uh, uh, so that's watching that shift, and both are completely legit reasons to play games. Um, so, like, depending on the person, you could be doing the exact same thing and for one person as the game and one person as the Like, if, if my aunt played Farmville, that might be a game for her. If I went on Farmville, I don't, I wouldn't feel like I was playing a game. Well, I mean, I mean, how many interactions are there between the adult and the child where the child is playing a game and the adult is parenting and teaching yes. something else? Maybe the, the problem is that we're asking is role-playing a game, and maybe it's possible that role-playing isn't actually a game, and that the original sense of what a game is for a game. It's pretend. It's a... It's part of it is that role play at its youngest initial sense is playing at being a grown up. That's how we learn and how we grow. We start with house, we start with, you know, the little girls and the little boys, you be the daddy now and you be the mommy, and then we kind of move into fantasy role play into the games where we actually have that real Now you be the daddy with a submachine gun, you be the mommy with a horrible sword. <laughs> Role-playing games are really, you know, collaborative storytelling. Some forms of them, they're not really games in the sense that there's a short I would use pretty often that is, it turns out not all that useful, but it's sometimes <laughs> worth thinking about it. I, I, I often like to think of a game as something that is impossible to win. Right. And so we know it's a game if it has a victory condition, but that totally excludes RPGs right. uh, and lots of other stuff. But you know, RPGs are farm jokes, yes, for example, right? Um, but RPGs are also really more like a toy than they are like a game. Well, there was a great philosophical book came out here. Uh, was, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, it was a contemporary of Robert Piercing. He said, everything can really be considered two types of games, a finite game or an infinite game. A finite game is a game that you play to win a title, yes. and an infinite game, like D&D or other RPGs, is a game you play to continue play. Right? Um, and... That, I think that it, that allows your incorporation because you can win. If you win a limited game like Monopoly by winning the title, having most money, you win D and D by being able to keep playing D and D. That's smart. And this is a book of it's, it's a philosophy, philosophy book. Finite yeah. and infinite games. I highly recommend. It. I wish I could remember Excellent. the author. Yeah, Monopoly kind of pushes the line between I would say that role-playing games, they, they land in an intersection between role-playing and games because like someone was saying, role-playing is kind of a, can be a non-structured thing, especially when you're growing up where you're pushing yourself into different roles. And game to me implies a certain level of structure, a certain level of rules and parameters within which you operate. Mm-hmm. So, the two kind of, it seems like the two are two separate-ish things overlapping into that. Yeah, there's, there's a Venn diagram there of them, I think, right? That it's, <laughs> yeah. It's, well, because you can have play without a game, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, activities. Yeah. Um, and you can have, uh, uh, you can have play that has a victory condition that during play everybody says, well, screw that. 
right? And it, what, does it stop being a game when everybody's like, like, or for example, when people are playing uh, uh, poker for an amount of money that is not worth anything to anybody, like we're playing for pennies or whatever, we know that, that but then if people start going, all right, well, you've won too many hands. I'm, now I have a new victory condition. Before we were just killing time as an activity, whatever. We didn't, you know, we weren't actually keeping track of who's going to, you know, like the money isn't worth anything, whatever. But then eventually people develop a rivalry, and they go, I have, I've decided I have a victory condition, and that is going to beat you. poker is now counting ball. It seems to me that the, the idea that, you know, child role-playing games don't really have structure is a little weird to me, because when I was a kid, at about grade four, I realized that half the people in my school I didn't want playing my games with me. So I actually started making, twisting and turning the playground rules, because in our playground you had to, if you asked what somebody was playing and they told you what they were playing, you were allowed to join, and that was just a blanket rule that everybody followed. So I started naming our game Nothing. So when people asked us, what are you playing? We'd say, oh, we're playing nothing. And everyone would be like, oh, you're just running around the playground looking weird. Okay, cool. (laughs) So I think that there can be a certain amount of structure to just play. Oh, yeah, sure. It's a spectrum. And I think even at the farthest end, I I don't think you ever actually get no structure. I think anytime you have two people playing together, structure emerges of some kind. And alternatively, I don't think you ever get no play, because that would imply that you're not getting any enjoyment out of it at all, and why would you do that? Because people pay you for it. It's called a job. The game reminds an obligation makes someone else happy. Two hands? This is actually a two-parter. First off, I would define a game as something that is fun. However, I would also define a game as anything that has a loose or strict set of rules that you are playing without having an actual, uh, not an outcome, a payment. If you go to a job and you do a job, you get paid, it's not a game. If you're playing poker for pennies, maybe it's a game, maybe it's not. If you're playing poker for $100 bills, it's not a game. It's legitimately... Yeah, but somebody who's playing at those really high stakes might be feeling very much like they're playing. All right, if I'm playing for $100 bills, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, bills, he's just wasting time. I mean, well, what's the word between, between games and work, right? Because yeah. reality is broken, but that's the word. Again, too, the gamification of society, right, where we get points for doing things we're going to do anyway. Well, yes, but all, my, my point is, is that there can be different rules for what is a game, but in general, I would have to say a game would have to be fun. However, on the other side of that, a game also can't have a payout, otherwise it's work. So, football, baseball, basketball, hockey... All games, unless you are doing it as a job, like if you're trying to get into a good college and get a scholarship, then it's work, not a game. Why can't it be both? Because then you're not doing it like art. Well, you are doing it, and you're like, this is the game. This is actually my job into a game. And that makes it fun. So, my concern with this is if I have a good time at the job, I've got to give up my pay. I'm having way too much fun for you to pay me for this. Um, this is actually a perfect follow-up because my perspective is it's not a victory condition that defines game. It's the presence of an intrinsic reward. Whether this can be fun, whether this can be learning, if there's something that you get out of it that you gain yourself and is not granted to you by an external party, university, college can be a game if you are doing it for yourself and you aren't doing it to get that piece of paper at the end. 
you can have a game where there is no end condition. It is, but it's still a game. It's an infinite game because you is rewarding. It's kind of interesting, um, but what I'm thinking of is something like hiking. So that would be a game in your definition. As long as I want to make you do it. Yeah, I, I just want to go hiking. I'm getting out of it I, a pleasure of the scenery, physical satisfaction, blah, blah, blah. Are you doing it because you want to yeah, go hiking, right. or are you doing it because your doctor said you need no, to go no, hiking? I like hiking. That, that's the difference. So, the, so for you, that would be a game. Well, why are you doing it if you do not have an intrinsic or an extrinsic ex- reward? Ex- no, I think there's an intrinsic reward. reason. I just, it seems so, odd. It doesn't feel like a game to me. It feels like a bit of a broad definition. It encompasses a lot of things that we would not normally call games. Like recreation would be equal to that. Well, yeah, it, what, what is recreation? Sleeping is a great game. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there's a victory condition. It includes a lot of things that may not be useful to people. It doesn't exclude anything that is a game. I think that that's more important. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, then, how it doesn't become a useful definition, though, because you can have so many other things that qualify as games. So we don't really approach what is a game any further than anything else. Well, yeah, and I think maybe that gets to the point here: is that that what definition are we looking for? Because at the end of the day, is it or is it not a game? Is based on do I feel like it's a game? Mm-hmm. But I think that that definition is very fluid, and it really what are we trying to do I think with that definition? I think it's turning into, as you said, it's, I mean, it's a debate on what is art. Yeah. You know, anything right. can be a game if you say it is. At that point, we're going to feel philosophical. Leave hand I would say uh, the reason hiking doesn't feel like a game to you is you don't have any rules to it. There, if you had some predefined set of rules, like... I want to see if I can find three blue jays. Then, when you're hiking, you find those three blue jays. You that's a game. So if you're just doing it, you're just—it's just. It's just doing well, I mean, my rules: stay on the trail, get back by noon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's only interesting. Only thank you. Excellent. I like you. And that's what I hear too. If you say bring a GPS and you're looking for, you know, a treasure that somebody looks for, suddenly you're geocaching, which is definitely a game. Yes, absolutely. Achievement unlocked. Spending your friends. Um. Everything that I've played a lot of games with, the cards, dice, will play, whatever, but everything has one gold thread where I'm concerned, not necessarily the whole view. And that is that when you're gaming, you're setting aside a portion of reality and entering into another one, even if it's something as simple as poker. Because you're suddenly setting rules onto your life that these cards are important now, they do this, you might get that. And so there is a level of. Um, there's a level of alternate reality, different levels of it, whether you've altered the rules of your life for the moment, or you've altered the rules of your perception, or whether you've altered the, you know, your personality to play this game. Your social ritual change. Everything is changing because you suddenly stepped outside of that box and said, now I'm going to be a warrior. So Now I'm going to be a, a gambler, or whatever it is you're doing, you've stepped out of your normal life and entered into this te- temporary alternate something. It's escape. Whether it's sitting around the board playing Monopoly with your family, you've become a banker, you know, or ruthless landlord, whatever the case is. Even if it's a small bit, you've done, you're doing something different that's not a normal part of your life. And that falls into all the categories, whether it be board or cards or dice or RPGs 
or um, something that you make up on the spot yeah. to even make a dull task more enjoyable. Yes, exactly. Like with the example of Perfect the Blue Jays, yeah. I play that game. Every everybody does. It's like okay, um, I, when I've been a kid, I'm going to find five red Volkswagens during this trip, and that's my game. Or I might say I'm going to do that. <laughs> you know, just something to do. Uh, we had a game when I was a kid where it's called Fiddle. You basically look for mm-hmm. cars without headlights. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, without the headlights. Okay, so everybody finds something. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that game. Tomato. They're both bad games. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, that's a new one. You find this grandma. Okay, well, okay, but don't punch. And so altering what your normal life is. Gaming is a way of stepping out, escaping, and just being somebody else for a little bit. Doing something else for a little bit. And all of them seem to have that with me. It's just, it's kind of escape and fun and different. If we're, like, part of what we're doing is, like, trying to look at other people's definitions. And your definition is interesting to me, but I think it can be broken as soon as you go into a BDSM community. Now, I was going to say, I think we need to test this theory. I live in Canada, you're out of luck. It's still. To be fair, it actually truly is a game because you always have the option to pop. Yes. Hmm. You that's have you have in that instance you have a safety word and if it's no longer enjoyable you can stop playing. And it is a, a remove reality. Yeah. Alright. BDSM is a game. Yeah. I'm posting that on Fat Life. I don't think you'd get a whole lot of this. I mean you'd get I think you'd get a lot more people than you get this. You would like how do you do a lot of these things wrong? I don't think they can hear well, it also allows that alternate behavior because, like, if you have fiddle, like, you can't just punch your brother for no reason. Yeah. You have to have to swing your brother. That's always a game for me. Because you know what, we all we've all been in a situation where we go, this is not fun anymore. This is not a game anymore. Mm-hmm. When the punching gets extreme, the brother goes, this is not that game's over. Okay, so maybe that's the definition of gaming. You know when it's not a game. Maybe that's it. Maybe like at the point where it's like it's not a game. That's how you well, find it. But then you get into instances where taking punching your brother, if you're having fun doing that and bothering him, and for him it was never a game. <laughs> that's his problem. I think it goes to uh, the reward cycle you get. It's neurochemistry. So whenever you do something that's pleasurable, you go into a reward cycle. Anything that you that has a reward cycle, you feel the rush of the reward, you can do it again and it's not survival, which is a key definition. So for the bonding, once it crosses that line, then you're in survival mode, it's no longer a game. But if you're having fun, you've got a reward cycle. For people in bonding, there's a definite reward cycle. So I think that's the loop in the brain that makes it a game. 
But then, then you can break this theory by saying that gamblers, even if they're losing, are having that constant cycle going in their brain that causes gambling addiction. And even if they're losing real money, like their house payment, they're still technically having fun. So is that still a game? I, I, would, say yes. Yes. I would say yes. Survival point, which is when they free front the, the amazing thing about addictions is you can become addicted to anything. When I first got into gaming, uh, my, my wife was tired of me moping around the house because I didn't have any friends to play Magic with, so she found a, a card shop, and I met some friends there, and they introduced me to gaming. Within a month, I was gaming five days a week. And my wife. I think what this is all leading up to is, uh, as a fact, is that the definition of a definition of a game is subjective to the person you're talking to about it. Yes. I, I think we've raised a bunch of like essential things you think are in a game. So get yeah, to an actual. There thing. are some things that are necessary, but who's to say exactly? <clears throat> what those things are from person to person. Because just because you find something in a game that makes it a game for you, doesn't mean that those same things will fill the same needs for another person to become a game. I always think about the, the serial killer movie plots that you always yeah, get. Where yeah, it's I was just thinking for the serial killer, but not for the police or for their victims or for was, the world or for anybody else. Especially when the serial killer thinks other people thinks it's a game. Where right. he draws them into it, he forces them to play. Like the the classic one is the Saw movies. He draws them into something that he wants them to do, and he forces them to do it. So to him, the whole thing is a game, but not for anyone caught in that situation. But I think we have some consensus, though. We think that it should be pleasurable. There might be a kind. There's some kind of structure to it. So those are some things. And, and just because we can find things that will break some of those tenets yeah, doesn't mean that, that that we're not. Get getting a valuable kind of. I think it's always going to have a fuzzy border. There's no game. There's not. <laughs> 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 I've played a lot of them and none of them are there yet. Uh, so, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I think it won the Diane Jones yesterday. The one that uh, wins that but, uh, fiasco. Oh. Well, it could be like those Alcoholics Anonymous pamphlets. You might be an alcoholic if you do done two or three or more of these things. You could make a list of things, and if something meets at least three of those requirements, it's a game. Then you've been playing a game, yeah. You might be playing a game. Oh my god, my whole life! My whole life is a game! The with the fuzzy border, though, is it also means that even when people are playing the same game, they can't always agree on how it's played. As an example, um, um, Fairly well involved with the Legend of the Five Rings community, which has a, a, an RPG side, a CCG side, and if you uh, it's divided into clans, divided into factions. If you play other games like Vampire or really anything else that has factions, you're familiar with the same concept. And when any, any of those games, you want more people for your side, and a lot of the questions become. Is the recruitment of other players part of the game? Because if you show up at the event and you know you have thirty dragon players and two phoenix players, well, sucks to be a phoenix. Is that fair? Is that, is that a fair way to play the game? And phoenix players would say no. The dragon players would say, well, you could recruit. That's just, the socialization is part of the game. Whereas the other people might say, well, no. What we do with the cards, or we do with the dice, that's the game. Well, that's metagaming. Yeah, that's the game. the game. Where does it play? How do you find the scope of a game? Where does the metagame itself? Oh, fuck. It's a game followed by metagame followed by metagame followed by your actual life, which is God's metagame. I really don't think you can enter fairness into the question of what's a game. Because that's a completely separate issue. 
Because me playing chess for somebody, you know, some grandmaster, that's not fair, even though hmm. the rules are fair. But you well, I think it's even fairness. I think we're saying that they might have different definitions of the scope of the game. But, but if you if you challenge a grandmaster to a game, you're both agreeing to play a game. The game is chess. If you enter a chess tournament and you're set against the grandmaster, then the question becomes: Are you playing chess or are you playing a tournament? And the tournament includes chess. Well, you're looking at the difference between primary and secondary purposes. If my primary purpose is to have fun, it's a game. If my primary purpose is to, like, meet girls, I'm doing the wrong thing. Not necessarily. But no, it's one of those things. But no, it's one of those things where, like, you can make a game not a game by having different motives. But it's that primary purpose is kind of what you're looking at for definition. Based on how you want to do it. Yes. That's crazy talk. Yes. <laughs> I have seen it done, and I have accidentally done it myself, where you just, one player gets to the point where either they're domineering so much or they're being so aggressive that it ceases being a game for everyone else, yeah. and it's just something to get through till the end. You wouldn't yeah. a game for a lot of people? Introduce a, 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 a monetary prize. discrepancies and rules. We have a friend who we're convinced is illiterate because every time he brings a new game, he's read the rules and we play it completely wrong and someone else reads the rules and we're like, You guys oh, know Scott? That was the Zane rules. So we're like, oh, that's the Zane rules. Now that brings an interesting question because oftentimes I play, uh, I, I will play with my friends and we're drunk. <laughs> so the rules change depending on you know how close you get and what you remember and if you are willing to look them up and, and what you are convinced is a rule <laughs> I swear I can do this but it's definitely still a game even if it's not fair at that point well, I think I think that that sort of those times, like there are certain games where you can break the entire game. Like I don't know if any of you have played Changeling by White Wolf, but there's a thing you can do with the pledges where you can make a pledge where you get every merit in the game. Literally, you just get all of the merits. Congratulations, there you go. All you have to do is if you break the pledge it's poison and you know you have negative all of the merits then and at a time like that you really need the DM to come in and be like no you guys can't have all of the merits well, you that, can have that, this one well that's one of the big things especially with RPGs is what is the game is the game the rules printed in the book or is the game the story that you're telling and interacting with the other players and the rules are the way you facilitate that 
And that's something that really changes. I don't think there's right answer. I think that changes completely. Yes, the, a lot of I've, I've had DMs that say that have told me that the player's handbook and the DMG are guidelines. Um, and I've had players in DMs that if it's not spelled out in one of those two books, it's not possible. Well, and I think this kind of brings us to the area of exactly. the idea of game design. That you try and construct a rule set that you believe through testing will produce the maximum amount of fun for everyone involved. And that when you make up other rules, you can still have fun with this. But you're deviating from that design and it differs from group to group. Yes. I, I think that there's a key point there. Uh, once a game is an agreed upon set of rules before it starts. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when people are playing different games, even though they've got the same book, they didn't agree upon the set of rules before it starts. They didn't agree upon the game they're playing. Yeah. Which, is why, which is why it's acceptable for when you game that you're all getting drunk and nobody can remember the rules because you walked into the room knowing we're all going to get drunk and not remember the rules. Yeah, and we've done it a hundred times before, so it's not like the game's changed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of the rules can be we're going to break all the rules. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like Magic the Gathering. Yeah. The golden rule is the cards trump the rules. If the card does something that the rules normally don't allow you to do, like play two lands in one turn. The card wins, and you can play a role-playing game in that manner. If you have you something, you play blue, don't you? Hmm? You play blue, don't you? <laughs> I play everything. I play a lot. Which includes blue. Which includes blue. Um, I think part of the discussion on the level playing field is simply the fact that with huge disparities in capabilities and chances, it ceases being fun. For both participants. The Grandmaster isn't having fun taking down a, a neophyte who has never played chess. There, there's no challenge to it. So the Grandmaster isn't having fun. The, 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 neo, the neophyte isn't having fun. The only one having fun is the 12 year old kid who's beating up his sister in Monopoly. That's the only person in all of these permutations who's actually having fun. You can have a very fun and engaging game <clears throat> that has a very asymmetric set of rules. Mm-hmm. So, And there are some good ones out there where the objectives are yeah, different. And so if you're going for the sheer, yeah, access to our Fortress America, I mean, there's a lot of board games, there's a lot of other games, but if the objectives are different. So in chess, if I was playing a grandmaster, my objective would be to not lose in three turns. You know, and then I'm having a good time if I can say I went against Gary Kasparov and didn't lose in three turns. So whatever the minimum every every, every turn beyond that you're like game design you can design a game that is not fair, but is balanced. As long as the objectives reflect a difference in what each player is trying to do. Well, that, I think, as long as everybody buys in, even if people come in with different objectives, the fair play is still there as long as everybody agrees with it, and that's that's extremely important with the you know it, you know beating up your your brother or playing somebody that you know you're not gonna gonna get past three moves. As long as the grandmaster is okay with that too, mm. then it's fun for everybody, it, and it, it goes down the line to, to everything. And, and that, I think it's very disappointing, and it does break the game when somebody has an objective that is not what everybody else is there for. Even if everybody else has different objectives, they're like that one. It's unfair for the rest of us in some way. It seems to be discussing a social contract. Yeah. Um, What's interesting about that is that um, uh, one of my friends is a GM and he's like going through this. Uh, we've gone through this long Google chat log, which is like, how do I run a game for five people who have five different objectives? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, just run it. 
Because at, the, at a fundamental point, we all negotiate at that table what we're going to do. We make a contract. Yeah, and you know, if someone comes to the table and is unwilling to negotiate, then maybe they don't need to be at the table anymore. But I often than not in RPGs that it, the players are a five-sided or a six-sided, however many players you have Venn diagram, and very often there's a lot of overlap, and nobody's ever playing always the same game the same way that it's just as, 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 as uh, uh, the best example I always use is that if I describe the wizard to you, you may not all be picturing the wizard the same way, but we're getting it enough overlap that we can communicate, right? We're still always kind of playing a slightly different game than the guy next to us. The question is if we can do it in a happy coexistence. I, I was. Do I give that I've been jamming since '72, and one of the things that I found was that if I see someone who exudes creativity and figures a way to put two spells together to make something awesome, um, and everyone's thinking it's awesome as well, and I'm blown away by it, um, I allow only because that's what it's about. Everybody's having fun. And if everybody's smiling, laughing, having fun, going, that is so cool. Uh, it is cool. And uh, definitely it's allowed. And that, it comes down to, as a decision that I have to make, am I going to allow it or not, the hell with the book. If they're laughing, having fun, that's what this is for to me. And yeah, rules are there. I'm a guideline person. But... The point is, everybody's having a good time, smiling, laughing, and I don't let them bend it to the point where they totally take the game away from me. But if they come up with something cool as shit, it's going to happen. Yeah, I agree. That's awesome. I've definitely been in games where it's frustrating to think about, well, who's, somebody has to give here, and somebody has to mm-hmm. kind of modify their goal perhaps to make everybody else happy and I was in a game once where um, you know there was this big doom machine and my character was like I totally want to know what it does I want to turn it on I want to explode it's going to be fun it's a one-off I don't really care if my character lives or dies let's go out and blaze of glory and the other you know another character was like no 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 we have to stay perfectly safe I have to keep you from turning this on um, I have to thwart your every move. And I was like, well, that could be fun for me, but you're kind of being a douche about it. <laughs> but, um, so do I let you kind of, for just because this is a one it's not that big a deal, um, save the day? Or do I keep pushing to, you know, explode the, the doom machine? And, and it's, there, there's a lot of, of negotiation that you do, not only with other people, but with yourself, of like, well, do I need to really change my goals for the good of everybody else? Well, that's, that's <laughs> one of the rules thing, one of the things I always loved about third edition D&D, and I know that's almost heresy to say at this point, uh, but was open the DMG, and very first thing it says, rule zero, Whatever makes the game fun is the right thing. Change the other rules for that. And I love yeah. throwing that in power gamer spaces <laughs> and saying, it's in the book, Monty Cook says it. <laughs> um, and the other thing though is I just want to do a quick show of hands too. Has anybody here ever actually have a formal discussion with a group possibly going to write a charter about what the game is for? I've thought about it because my group rotates GMs, which gets kind of crazy like I ran um, the same setting? no not in the same setting okay. in different games but it becomes like I ran a Dragon Star game and then we ran a wheel uh, 4E game and now we're running a wheel of time game each one with a different GM so it's like I've been really thinking about the concept of a charter because 
the consistency from game to game is what helps us move along and play and get together as a group. If you have one DM that says, you cannot absolutely do this, and then the next DM is like, oh no, that's totally fine, just forget that, it's, it just gets too much conflict, and that person who's now a player doesn't think you should be able to do it, so they don't, and everyone else does, and now it's, you're, you're losing your game now. Come back to rule on the Oh, yes, I'm sorry. My husband really wants me to tell this story. So. Um, <laughs> sometimes when the when the rules and the agreement and everything like that, the player and the GM don't come together, the solution is kind of weird. And I've experienced this. Um, we <laughs> we play a game together. He's not the GM, but we play a game together where um, there was a situation. We were in combat. These sturges attacked us. And I had basically killed it, killed one. It was almost dead. It was lying at my feet, dying. And I said, I'm going to stomp on its head. And the GM told me, no, you can't stomp on its head. That's a blah, 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 blah. Opened the book, told, showed me where I couldn't stomp on its head, and told me I couldn't do it. And he would continually be like, you're a really creative player. You know, we've played together for years, and I am, because I have a weird personality, and I like to see things kind of outside of the box. So his solution was, instead of, you know, letting me have this creativity in the game, we would play a different game where that had rules where you could stop on things. So now we're playing a, you know, temporary Dresden Files game, and then we'll go back to the Pathfinder world where... If I've killed something and it's dying, gasping, bleeding out, I am not allowed to step on it. <laughs> <laughs> you can totally step on it in Dresden. Yeah, yes, but in the Dresden Files, I could step on that little motherfucker. <laughs> and I, I love him. I'm not. I'm just saying that if you're going to agree to play with someone as a player, sometimes you have to. You have to be creative enough you, to work around it and make it happen. But I don't. If I could just say for the DM, it might be really hard sometimes. Like I was DMing at one in high school, and one of my players had just killed a dire rat and demanded that he be allowed to field punt it, to drop kick it, and try and punt it over like wherever we were. And he wanted to know exactly how many feet we it would go. We wasted like a half hour debating this. <laughs> well, I, I, I think what we've been covering the last few conversations, it's the communication. So we said to agree on it before. What I've done is I have everybody tell me what their goal is before we start. So, so what are you attempting to do? What, what do you want to do? If it's an RPG, where do you want to go with your character? And I'm trying to make everything fit if I'm running. But that's just the way I do the contract or the communication which I think is what we're covering here in game. If you don't agree, but you don't know it, then the game's broken. But if you don't agree and you can discuss it and you can talk about it, you can then you've got a new game. Doesn't matter what's written down, if you so say if your DM said, Okay, I'm gonna allow it, so you've got a new game. It's not what you started with, now you've got a new game. It kind of mutates into the what what you're Yes, someone talk. <laughs> All right, you're um, I think part of it also comes down to using the right system for the goals that you have in mind. 
please do not run a 3.5 investigative game. Like, just don't. Please. Well, what do if we remove it? all of the detection and divination spells first? And likewise, I played. I had a, uh, a friend of mine run a psychological thriller game in 3.5 that was investigative, and we were actually the targets of the investigation. But we were given leeway to gather the evidence to vindicate ourselves and find the real killer. And I will tell you, that was one of the best games I played. And that was, I mean, there was some psychological hallucinations and stuff because there's a supernatural force essentially working against us. And the way he described it, we, we'd walk into an inn and and we talk to someone and then everyone else except one person in the party would stop moving and that one person's like what the hell's going on and then everybody dies and then there's a bright flash and we all haven't entered the inn yet and it's like oh my god but did any of that actually require rolling I mean he did finesse the rules a lot uh, there, was, there was mostly there was very little combat and, but there was a lot of skill checks you like make a skill check yeah. you want to try that do a skill check but it was a lot it was a very role play heavy game and if you do it right it it can be amazing. So that's what I mean. You agreed to change the game. So he's, from what he's saying, he's saying strictly looking at the, the rules of the book, it's not going to work. But it worked for you because your agreement, the game that you guys were playing, nobody else was playing in the world, was a different game. Because it was how you were running. I think another problem I've run into is how to get that conversation started and how to get honest responses to it. Because I've GM'd so many games and I've been like, hey, what do you guys want to get out of this game? Like, I just want to like play. I want to play this game system. Like, I want to play Dresden. I want to play D and I'm like, yeah, but what do you want to do in it? What are your expectations? What are your hopes? And like, oh, whatever you throw at us, I'm like that's the most useless information. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I think getting that honest response is really yeah. hard. They may not know the response, that. frankly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here to have fun and only started to I figure out yeah. Yeah, that's what, that's what I really the want. The best experience I have is have them write what they want and what they expect after the first game session yeah. and have them continue to do that and just build up what everybody gives you because I made up like yeah. a, a questionnaire at one point with, with my big monthly group that's like 13 to 15 people and I, I like at the end of the campaign I was like what did you like about the campaign what did you not like about yep. the campaign what would you have liked to see more or less of how could I have made it better and out of like 15 people I got two back half filled out yeah. I mean it's just yeah. trying to get your players to, to give you the information that you need to make it a better experience for them that there's that doesn't help me that helps them more than it would have helped me well that, that's also who, who's different level of investment mm-hmm. So you may be more invested than they were, and they're, then you're, you've got an uneven playing field anyway. You're expecting maybe more investment from them for the game. So that's part of the, the communication is, are you just kind of just going along just to hang out? Or do you have a goal? Do you have a story? Mm-hmm. What I like to do is I sit down. It's time intensive, but I sit down with everybody separately and work on their story, work on what their goals are, and then I have an idea what they want. Mm-hmm. It's easier in a conversation to figure that out than on a piece of paper like homework. Mm-hmm. So it is 10:50, um, and sadly we are uh, kind of out of time. We got Gen Con Dad says we have to put the chairs back. Yeah. Um, but I've always been a child. Very much for coming. It isn't fun anymore. We're leaving. Who's <laughs> 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 back first? Oh, ah. yeah. 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 Ye
have a ticket for this, we would take it because maybe they will want it or something. Uh, that would be awesome. Yeah, you have to prove uh, that you can uh, get our book from Indie Press Revolution if it's something you want to pick up and browse and our website is at gameplaywright.net and if you want a business card or an email address, we have those.